Listening to the Coffee Hour, I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golsa. Recently, a disaster happened here in Missouri, so we're going to get an update from one of our friends in disaster response in just a moment. Thanks to Concordia University, Wisconsin, for supporting the Coffee Hour. Find out more about Concordia University, Wisconsin at cuw.edu. Live Uncommon. Joining us today, the Reverend Carl Gibbs. He's pastor of Emanuel Lutheran Church in Carrollton, Missouri. Also serves as disaster response chaplain for the State Emergency Management Agency. Pastor Gibbs, welcome to the Coffee Hour. Welcome. Thank you very much for having me. So the many of us have probably heard about the recent train derailment in Menden, Missouri. Before the train derailment, help us understand the, the community of Menden, Missouri. I don't know how many people are even familiar with the name Menden, Missouri. So that yeah. probably tells us where we are, right? <laughs> exactly. And probably not too many are. Now, I'm told back in its heyday, Menden was quite a large community, but as Rural demographics have changed over the decades and over the years that's changed. So Menden is no more than about 30 miles from where I am at in West Central Missouri. But right now, I think as of the last census, it is a community of a whopping 171 people. So that's just kind of tells you this is a very rural area. That means when we're talking about disasters, really of any kind, we're talking volunteer-only departments. So fire department is all volunteer, EMS, ambulances, those things are all volunteer. And a lot of your law enforcement is going to be from a, a large distance. Well, I wouldn't maybe say large, but a, a distance away. Hmm. So describe what happened with the the train derailment with the passenger train back on June 27th. Sure. So Amtrak runs an express line, as they call it, the Southwest Chief, runs daily from Los Angeles, California to Chicago and passes through Minden. It had just stopped a short time before, picked up some passengers in Kansas City uh, and was now on its final leg to Chicago. And just outside of the tiny community of Mendon, this train, which was, I believe, an engine and eight cars, was just traveling down the track at 87 mile an hour, which was perfectly fine. I think that the speed limit in there for trains is 90 mile an hour. But this train hit or came into contact with a dump truck, which all of us know dump trucks. These are large, heavy vehicles. And so... Immediately, we had a horrible situation on our hands. Uh, that train, the cab, was removed from the dump truck. Very, very tragic there. And then every car of that train, minus the engine, but especially all of the passenger cars, derailed and simply flipped on their side. So again, just a, a very, very tragic situation. That sounds, I'm sure, devastating for everyone involved. And there were, I understand, injuries and casualties involved in this as well, correct? Yes, there were, unfortunately. So I'm told there were about 250 passengers or so on that train. And, and again, as you picture this train, I'm told it was a double-decker train. So you had two levels in the passenger cars. You kind of had an observation deck up on top and then regular seating down below. But yeah, about 250 people on board. I'm told 
little over 150 of them sustained injuries of many and various types. And then there were four fatalities, unfortunately. Hmm. What is in a, in a situation like this, what is the, the role of a, a chaplain? How did you become involved in this, in responding to this disaster? Sure. So, they, I mean, there's kind of a, a background story there. So I responded, as you said in the introduction, as a member of the State Emergency Management Agency Disaster Response Chaplaincy. Uh, and that is a very new part of the State Emergency Management Agency. In fact, we've only been in existence as a ministry, quote unquote, for a little over a year. And, and how that part of SEMA came to be really came out of the Joplin tornado that happened a number of years ago. After the Joplin tornado, what the folks at SEMA, that's at the state level, and FEMA at the federal level realized is that there were on the ground so many different faith-based organizations the LCMS included in that, of course, they were there on the ground in Joplin doing great work, but on the governmental side, so with SEMA or FEMA, on that side of things, the incident commander and those folks didn't know about all the work that was being done by these faith-based organizations. And so in an effort for everyone to kind of get on the same page, not so much for oversight, that wasn't it at all but simply as a way for kind of both sides of that coin to work together to meet the needs of, of those who were in need and to meet as many of them as possible, we found a way in which we could kind of bring everybody to the same table. And so the idea came about to develop a team of SEMA chaplains who could kind of help bridge that gap uh, and kind of be a liaison of sorts between well, what we would say is the left-hand kingdom and, and the right-hand kingdom. And so both hands are working together for the betterment of God's people. So that was one purpose of raising up the chaplaincy, but also, and primarily I would add, it was there to, to develop folks who could come and, and minister to those who were in times of great need, uh, to minister to victims of disaster, absolutely. but also to minister to those who are doing the serving. So this is where we talk about ministering, you know, serving those who are serving <laughs> and ministering to those who are out on the front lines. So this would be our first responders, our EMS, our fire, uh, our law enforcement, uh, some of those that maybe get forgotten sometimes, our dispatchers, those who sit on the other end of the 911 calls or, you know, the medical examiners, the folks that have to, the crime scene technicians, these folks that, that see things that most of us in our ordinary lives never have to see, things that somebody probably sh shouldn't have to see, but these folks see on a regular basis. And so disaster response chaplains were there to minister to them and to help them work through what they experience unfortunately, experience on a regular basis. So what is the process for actually becoming one of these chaplains with the State Emergency Management Agency? Yeah, and I'm glad you asked because, Sarah, we, we need more. As I said, this is a new program. In fact, our deployment to Menden was 
our first ever. We, we've been, we had raised up this pilot program a year ago and this was the first deployment, which I think right now we only have seven chaplains across the state of Missouri, which means it's going to be hard at times if we have certain disasters for somebody to get there quickly. So we need more chaplains and it's actually a fairly easy process. It is a volunteer role. And I would just simply say, I guess at the outset, more information can be found online. So that web address is SEMA, S-E-M-A dot D. P.S. as in Department of Public Safety. dot mo. dot gov. So that's SEMA. dot dps. dot mo. dot gov, and that'll take you to SEMA's homepage. And then under the Programs tab, you'll see a link to the chaplaincy. And you'll see there you can you can read more about it. You can watch a short video about what we're trying to do and and what we are about. And then you can see how you can apply to be a, a chaplain. It is a volunteer role. Some training is required, but the neat thing about the training is most all of it is online. Nearly all of it is completely free of charge. Most of it is completely self-paced online, which means you can do it at your own time and your own pace. And a lot of what you're going to be learning in those trainings are skills that are going to make you a better pastor even in the parish, whether you're in a disaster zone or not. And so I, again, would just direct folks who are interested in that, and especially brothers in the ministry, to that website. Take a look at it. Reach out to the gentleman who heads up our ministry. It's a, a Pastor Gary Gilmore. He is a former colonel in the Missouri National Guard. He served his career in the National Guard here in Missouri as a chaplain, and he's heading up this ministry. He's a great man, and he would love to see many, many, many more chaplains as a part of this ministry. And as any in our armed forces or, or in any disaster response aspects will tell you, they love Missouri Synod pastors because we, we, bring, we bring a lot to the table. And so I, again, I, I probably sound like a salesman here, but I can't, I can't recommend it enough for pastors out there. Hmm. You mentioned that this is a new program in Missouri. Are you aware of other states that are adopting a similar program? You know, I'm not, Andy. I hope they are. And that's just one thing that I, I give thanks to God that here in the state of Missouri, we have folks at the, you know, the highest levels in state government that say, hey, th this is a priority and that there really is a need for chaplains to come and to, to serve the needs of our people. And, you know, a lot of what we do, we're not mental health workers. We work in tandem with psychologists and social workers and things like that. And, and they have a lot to offer, but also so do chaplains because you go through any disaster people, and I, and I will be the first to say, even those who might identify themselves as an unbeliever, when you go through situations such as what was experienced at Menden, people are asking those spiritual questions. Where is God in all of this? Does God still love me? Why, why did this happen? Right? These types of spiritual questions. And so these chaplains are there to help bring some guidance and some answers to that. And then also, you'll hear me talk a lot about a ministry of presence, to just be present with people and to remind them that God is present with them, uh, that that fortress, right, that mighty fortress remains even when the, the mountains are falling into the heart of the sea. Mm -hmm.
We're talking with the Reverend Carl Gibbs, pastor of Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Carrollton, Missouri, and disaster response chaplain for the State Emergency Management Agency here in Missouri and responding to the recent train derailment in Menden, Missouri. We'll continue the conversation in just a moment right here on The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golsa. At Concordia University, Wisconsin, we believe you were created for a reason, to use your God-given gifts to help others, to live a life of self-sacrifice in a me-first world, to live a life that's uncommon. Whether you're taking one of 50-plus online programs or learning with us in person on the shores of Lake Michigan, you'll be equipped to make an uncommon impact. Learn more at cuw.edu. Concordia University, Wisconsin. Live uncommon. Welcome back to the Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. Today we're talking with the Reverend Carl Gibbs, pastor of Emanuel Lutheran Church in Carrollton, Missouri, and disaster response chaplain for the State Emergency Management Agency in Missouri, responding recent to the recent train derailment in Menden, Missouri. Pastor, you've painted a, a helpful picture for us in understanding the work of a disaster response chaplain serving with the the State Emergency Management Agency. Tell us more about your involvement when responding to the recent emergency, the the, the train derailment in Menden, Missouri. You've given us an idea. Tell us a little bit more about what it was like. This was, as you mentioned, your first deployment in this position. It was, yes. So again, as, as I mentioned before, normally on a good day, I would have been just about 30 minutes away and been able to get there right away. Unfortunately, when I received the call and the deployment request, I was far away, actually in St. Louis, having just sat through a day of meetings with LCFS Disaster Response. We were talking and, and trying to plan to put together some materials to help folks who have gone through a disaster. So I was about four hours away. By the time I arrived to Menden, it was mid-evening. So I didn't get to Menden until about nine o'clock at night. And just for reference, I believe the actual derailment happened somewhere around one o'clock in the afternoon. So by the time I arrived there in Minden and kind of the local high school had become the family kind of reunification and, and resource center. That's where everybody was taken. And in fact, they bust them right there from the derailment site. And they did a lot of triage and things there at the school. By the time I arrived, most, again, of the passengers had been taken elsewhere for the evening, but who remained was a lot of our first responders who, by that point, were several hours after the event, the passengers are now gone, and the, the adrenaline was starting to come down. And as one's adrenaline comes down, because when those things happen, you, your training just kicks in and you, you just do what you need to do. And it's hours after as things begin to wrap up, kind of take a moment you begin to process everything that just happened and sometimes that's a that's a difficult thing for folks especially who haven't been in situations like that before or maybe have not seen things like that before and so when i arrived myself along with one of our other sema chaplains were simply present with our first with the first responders especially with members of the men volunteer fire department and their ems and Really, we just listened. We might have asked a few leading questions, and then we just let them talk. I've had folks tell me, again, that when it comes to trauma, 
the greatest part of healing comes through simply talking about it. And so just giving them the opportunity to share and to just kind of process what they went through that day. And then to help kind of normalize their emotions. I will often, and even that evening told folks that, hey, you know what you're experiencing right now? This is a normal reaction to a very abnormal experience. And to tell them that those emotions are okay, right? It's okay to cry. It is okay to, it's okay to wonder where was God in all of this, right? We, we see those kinds of questions in, in scripture, but then we also have the, the answer to those as well. So that evening I spent several hours there at the school, listening, being present with, and then enjoyed some opportunities to pray with some individuals as well. And then in the days that followed, worked together with a state crisis team for what are called critical incident debriefings. We brought back all of those first responders who were on the scene that day and kind of helped them again as a group in its entirety, law enforcement, EMS, fire, from state highway patrol on down to the, the volunteer folks there locally. Just everybody together kind of share their perspectives on things, share their emotions, what they're going through. And again, just to be able to kind of process what it is that they are experiencing. And so as a chaplain, we're there working again in tandem with a mental health professional, as well as what is called a peer support person, which would be somebody from their field who has experienced many disaster zones and who can kind of speak to the emotions and things that go with that. How much of a difference does it make for these first responders to just be able to process through these things with, with people like you have yeah. this listening ear? What kind of difference does that make, you know, a month or two down the road when they, when they likely will have to just keep, I mean, they're, they're in the, the type of vocations where, where these things do happen yes. and they do have to manage these emotions and be able to process through them. What kind of difference does it make to have, have chaplains in that, that team of support for them to be able to continue to do their vocation well? Well, I think it's huge. And I think that's why we need more of it. I mean, if we look at law enforcement, I think it was last year, even as things were just kind of not in a good state in certain areas around our country, but we lost more firefighters and police to than line of duty deaths. And in, why is that? If we, you know, we work with fire chiefs and police captains and things, and they, we try to figure out why this is, it's because these officers and firefighters and EMS and dispatchers, they internalize these things and they think that they need to, you know, that it might be a sign of weakness to, you know, share or kind of wear some of this on their sleeve. And so they, they kind of squish it down deep inside. And we're finding that that is not healthy at all. Hence these suicide rates that we have, unfortunately. So just being able to talk about it to just be able to share. And one of the, the blessings, and I think effective things of these critical incident debriefings, when we get folks together in a circle, you know, let's say Joe can hear that, you know, Steve, just random names here, but Joe hears that Steve is experiencing the same kind of emotion. So Joe no longer thinks that, oh, you know, it's a sign of weakness or he's crazy for feeling these things or, you know, not being able to sleep or, any of these kinds of things. So just being able to have someone who is there to listen and to talk 
And from our side of things as chaplains, to be able to pray with them and to assure them that God is with them, that God's going to equip them with what they need to fulfill the vocations that he has placed them in. Sarah, it's huge. And I think we can look at the statistics and see the effects of what it is to not have those resources. You mentioned earlier that many of the people responding to this disaster were serving in volunteer capacities, yourself included. Tell us, how did the community respond to the disaster? How did the, the, the community of Menden, Missouri, and the surrounding community step up to help in this in this disaster? You know, from, from the outside looking in, and of course, again, because of my location, I arrived after the effect, after the fact, but it was from my perspective, pretty awesome to see and listening to their stories, even for those local first responders, they were just amazed and blown away. I had one first responder kind of, he says, you know, when you're in such a rural area, you learn to kind of make do with what you have. But he says, you know, within 30 to 40 minutes, they had volunteer and staffed emergency personnel from all over North Central Missouri on the scene assisting. He said, I popped out of one of the train cars and there on the ground, I saw 16 different helicopters who had come in very quickly to life flight people to, to area hospitals. So on the one hand, from the first responder side, their support came from far and wide and very, very quickly. It was pretty amazing to see how that worked. And then just this community, again, we said, you know, a community itself, I guess, within the city limits, quote unquote, 171 people. But from what I heard, nearly all 171 within moments responded, right? This is a very close knit, close knit community that immediately sprang into action. And there were farmers who witnessed the accident, who jumped into action themselves, got to the train cars, hopped in and began assisting folks as they knew. How did they get people from this very rural train crossing to the school? It was the school bus drivers that went and got the school buses uh, and within minutes had school buses there at the train site and were transporting folks to the school where they can be triaged. The school workers themselves, the superintendent, I met him, Dr. Hoyt, a wonderful, wonderful man who just immediately opened up the school, did what needed to be done to, to make it to where this school could be open and available to the needs of those who needed it. Um, people from the community, I mean, I, I heard they, they kind of say, Everybody bought out every kind of food item that the local Dollar General store had so that the passengers had food and water there at the school while they got medical care or as they waited for transportation to a hotel or whatever it may be. I heard examples of community members on site doing what we chaplains do, right? Simply being present with folks, praying with them. I, somebody told me of a woman who just worked her way around the school gym, praying the Lord's Prayer with, with those who had experienced this tragedy. And that was just somebody in the community. So as word got out, this community stepped into action. Somebody told me that at one point, there were as many community volunteers who showed up just on their own to help there in that gym, as many volunteers as there were passengers from the train. So it was kind of a I don't know if this is the right word or not, but kind of an amazing thing to witness how this community came together in a time of great crisis 
and great tragedy and came together for good. What does it mean to your congregation that their pastor serves as a volunteer disaster response chaplain? Well, we should probably ask them. You know, I don't know, (laughs) but I, I would hope that they would see what I'm doing as simply an example of, you know, again, Yes, I I wear the title of chaplain. I I wear the title of pastor. And there's things that come with that. But but it's also an example of what some of what I do is what they themselves can do. This is an example, not only in disaster zones, but just in life of what it is to love and serve your neighbor, to put your faith into action. So many times when I've been out on these types of deployments or in crisis situations, people will ask, you know, why, why did you come, right? Why did you drop everything that you were doing and, and you, you came here to be with us? Why? And my answer every time that I get that question is, this is what the church does. This is what Christians do. We seek out our neighbor to show them the love and mercy and the compassion of Christ. This is just who we are. And so I would hope that the congregation that I serve would see their pastor modeling that and kind of showing them what that looks like and and that that can be done not only in disaster zones, but just in everyday life and every walk. You see somebody in need, see what you can do to assist. And my congregation knows, I talk to them often about the power of prayer, just praying with people. I've said in in my years of crisis ministry, I haven't kept a tally, but I would dare say, you know, I've, I've, I've prayed with hundreds, if not thousands of people. And, and those prayers have happened in many and various places, just where people are at. Location doesn't matter. And all of those situ- conversations start by me just, you know, I've listened, I've heard their story. And as the conversation's about to wrap up, I, you know, it's, can I pray with you? And As I tell people, I've asked many people that question, hundreds, if not thousands of people that question, and some who, you know, in the course of conversation, you come to find out they identify maybe as unbelievers or or whatever it is. But my point is, I've never had anybody tell me no. And I have had plenty of people say, nobody's ever asked me that. Can I pray with you? And, you know, and they find this to be such a tremendous blessing that somebody would take the time to listen to their concerns, to listen to what crisis is going on in their lives, and then to, with them, join hands and take that concern and take that crisis to the throne of a merciful God. You know, that's what I hope my congregation would see and what I hope they would implement in their own walks. And I always tell people, too, it is a ministry of presence. You know, we don't have to be concerned about, do I have the right words for that prayer? Because the Lord, one, is going to sort all that out. He knows what's on your heart, even if you get the words mixed up or you get tongue-tied or whatever. And then the second thing is, sometimes these folks that you're praying with, they're not necessarily always going to remember the exact words that you pray. But what they are going to remember is that you prayed, that you were there, that you stood with them, that you held their hand, you gave them a hug, you had your hand on their shoulder, whatever it is, that you took time to listen and to just show them the love and the mercy of Christ. 
That's how ministry is done. By chaplains, yes, but but also by like just Christians in general. Our guest today, the Reverend Carl Gibbs, pastor of Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Carrollton, Missouri, and disaster response chaplain for the State Emergency Management Agency of Missouri. Thank you so much, Pastor Gibbs, for, for your work serving those in need in the recent disaster and for sharing your story with us on The Coffee Hour today. Yes, thank you, Andy, and thank you, Sarah. You've been listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golson. The Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah is a production of KFUO. To support The Coffee Hour and KFUO Radio, visit KFUO.org. You can also text KFUO to 41444 or send an email to gifts at KFUO.org. And you can call us at 800-844-0524. KFUO. Christ for you anytime, anywhere. Anywhere.